Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. With a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere. Used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A star-filled sky was once our evening entertainment, but now it's Netflix, iPads, Bluetooth, whatever. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og, and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. The circadian rhythm controls many aspects of our lives, hormone release, hunger and sleep. Before the invention of the light globe, this important mechanism was set and reset by the rise and fall of the sun. My guest today, Professor Sean Kane, Associate Professor of Psychology at Monash University, suggests humans may be even more sensitive to light than we already acknowledge. His laboratory work focuses on individual sensitivities to light and how these insights may uh, help us understand uh, the influences to poor human health, including sleep disorders, metabolic diseases, and depression. He is the current president of the Australasian Chronobiology Society. So, Sean, what is chronobiology and how does it fit in with your career right now? Well, chronobiology is is just the the study of timing in the body. Uh, And now we know... you. There have been chronobiologists studying rhythms in, in behavior, rhythms in hormones for, for many years. But now we realize over the past 20 years that these rhythms in our body are, are so much more widespread than we ever thought before. We used to think, you know, we've got a core uh, clock in, in the brain and it controls these things. But now we know that throughout the brain, there are rhythmic bits of tissue throughout our body, your cells of your heart, the cells of your skin, cells of your liver and pancreas, your muscle, your tendons, these literally things everything. all, <laughs> literally everything mm. has, uh, has clocks. And those clocks do different things at different times of day. So some tissue needs to repair at some time or, or work hard at another time. And it's the clocks that tell the tissue what to do at the right time. And in the end, these, all of these things, they only know what time of day it is ultimately from the light in your environment. Now, they can run on their own, uh, but light tells them what time of day it is. And they're always trying to catch up with the light. So really, it's, it's a new era, I think, in, in understanding really the, the true importance of light for all forms of health. Mm. Uh, and so I guess answer the, the, the question first, I was going to, I was going to launch into another question, but how, how did you find yourself in, in this discipline? Uh, it's, it's funny, you know, I, I, I sometimes joke that, um, you know, chronobiology or circadian rhythms research, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, heroin in, in science. You, you try it once and you get hooked. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people who were doing something very different. And then they did one circadian rhythms experiment and it just changed the whole trajectory of, of their career. Um, that's not think, exactly what... Why do you think that pardon? is? 
because it's it's so fundamental. It's uh, it really touches almost everything biological. Every aspect of of health that you could be interested in. There's a circadian story. You know, there are ways that you know with bad rhythms we're creating all sorts of disease and. That means that creating better rhythms can can really be a, a cure or prevention for all sorts of diseases. And once once people start realizing the absolutely fundamental nature of rhythms, they realize just how much can be done in this area. Mm. But so, to, to answer your question, mm, sorry, um, no. I I was uh, very much interested in learning, and I, I worked in a in a behavioral neuroscience lab. Uh, I thought learning and memory is what I was going to do. And, and I happened to work, do some work as well in a circadian lab. And, and for me, it was, uh, it was no choice at all. I, I went off and did master's and PhD all in, uh, in circadian biology and how that impacts cognition. And so how, how you said, oh, we, we know that it, it is the fundamental block of, of life, you know, it triggers all these, these responses in the human body and, 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 all animals and all living cells, as far as I understand, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, mm. you'd have to you'd have to bend over backwards to find some bit of tissue in your body that can't generate twenty uh, four hour rhythms on its own. Uh, but not only that, even even if a bit of tissue couldn't generate twenty four hour rhythms on its own, it doesn't mean that it doesn't show rhythms in a passive way. Um, so your your body is essentially trillions of of clocks. It, it pays to know what time of day it is. It, it pays to know when to get resources. It, it pays to not be, you know, going in fifth gear all the time and, mm. and to, you know, work hard and then repair, work hard, repair, etc. There, there are a lot of reasons why you don't want to be doing everything at once uh, mm. and why it makes sense to uh, use your, your resources uh, according to time of day. So how do we know that light is the trigger to this? Well, uh, light, there's really one input for mammals anyway. There are other organisms that where they can, they can receive light straight through you know, the, the top of the head. Some organisms that are so small that light directly goes in and affects its rhythms. For mammals, um, it's you know, light through the eyes. So light through the eyes basically tells the clock what time of day it is. And, and throughout all of our natural history, it would have been just the, the sun rising, and sun setting. And, if you put the whole history of human uh, evolution into a 24-hour period, we've essentially been able to control our electric lights for the last 80 seconds of the day. Mm. So it's, it's almost no time at all. Um, mm. So we, we, you know, we're, we're doing things we didn't evolve to be able to do. But to, to you know, more directly answer what you're saying, you know, we can in experiments uh, mess up light dark cycles and, and we start to see all sorts of things happen there's animal studies showing that you can create cardiac hypertrophy you can create What's heart that, problems and it's that the, the, mm -hmm. the overgrowth of the, of the heart you mm -hmm. know and you could you know make animals not recover from experimental heart surgery very well by putting them on on disruptive light cycles you know light cycles aren't that different from what people really do experience in a hospital after mm -hmm. heart surgery Mm. Which is a which is a 
scary. They thing. have a nurse come in and they do tests and they have the, the lights on all the night night long. Yeah. Lights in the corridor, etc. Yeah. If you want the the worst possible light uh, for recovering from injury, then go to a hospital. It's uh, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, and it, and it's for for reasons. You know, there's OHS things. That you, you you need a well lit environment to do certain work, but I, I think it can be done in a much much smarter way. Uh, but there you are can changes with that, aren't there? There are talking. You know, there are hospitals in, in, including circadian rhythm lighting cycles. Yes, yeah. yes, there are, and and in a way, you you just need to. I think ultimately, all hospitals will have it, um, but the, it's a balance between. Um, you know the hospitals knowing that this will um, this will shorten stays and it will help patients, um, and then them not being uh, afraid of, of potential um, injuries due to lower light levels. So I mean, the idea in general is you you want to light up these environments like crazy because, for example, people who are in a hospital bed it's an un, it's an unusual bed for them uh, when they wake up. Yeah, they they might try to get out of bed. Now, hospital beds are always going to be higher than someone's normal bed, and, and then they end up kind of falling. And yeah, right. So mm -hmm. it, it's a, yeah, there, there is a desire to avoid things like, like falls, especially in, in those situations where people mm. are kind of vulnerable. Um, but you've got to, there are ways to, to make the light environment uh, both safe and, and good for your, your circadian rhythms and sleep health. And I think that's a message generally about artificial light, isn't it? Is that, you know, councils and governments and safety makers in streets all put this lighting in thinking that it's going to make a, a safer environment. But there are ways of doing it without having high intensity lights or having an abundance of light as well. It's, yeah. There it's, is a balance. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a balance. And then there's safety and there's there's the feeling of safety. So, you know, in, in a hospital, you, 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 you'd want people quite aware of their environment, especially when it's, it's strange and they're just waking up and getting out of bed. You, you don't want them to uh, misjudge the, the distance of the floor, et cetera. But, you know, I, I, I believe that we're um, lighting up our, our outdoor light environments um, uh, like crazy because it, it makes us feel safer. Mm. I don't think it, it does make us safer, but it makes us feel safer. And uh, as long as your your audience promises not to uh, repeat this, I'll, I'll tell you about some <laughs> uh, some upcoming uh, results we're working on now. Mm -hmm. So in in uh, in animals, it's been nocturnal animals. It's it's known that they're uh, actually uh, afraid of light, and, and they'll avoid light. And light will activate their um, their amygdala, which is an area of the brain that's involved in in producing and processing fear. Well, we have an, an amygdala too, but you know, it, it works, uh, we're finding out uh, just recently in the opposite way. So we're working on some data now showing that light actually suppresses activation of the amygdala. Mm. So this is essentially why we're afraid, afraid of the dark. The dark. Oh, yeah. And this is why you know, people go, go to bed at night, they go into the dark, and, and what do they do now? They, they turn on their phones and they, they stare at the light. And it makes them feel... A little bit better. It might not be a fully conscious feeling, but there's there's something there. It's a, maybe a little bit unconscious. They feel a little bit better. You know, we're really drawn to the light. You know, almost like you know moths to a, to a flame. We're we're drawn to it because it, it makes us feel a little better. But 
you know, just caffeine, having coffee makes us <laughs> feel better too, but we wouldn't do that right before we go to bed. Mm-hmm. But we do that with light. And, and I think part of that is, you know, we're not used to thinking of light as like a powerful drug, but it is. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I see people that I've got a friend, for example, that has put different kitchen lights in her kitchen and she got used to having a bright light over the stove and now she's put a bright light over the kitchen bench and now she's put a bright light and and so i know that's a sort of a strange example of it but i can see that she's becoming addicted to light her her house is becoming more and more lit because she feels that that helps her you know activate her lifestyle later in the evening well, again, exactly. It will. It'll, it's, it, it is a lot like having, uh, having coffee into the evening. You have coffee, you will be more awake. You have more blue light, you'll be more awake. We know that the kinds of lights that we're, we're kidding our houses out with now, these uh, you know, kind of blue and rich uh, LED lights, they act on our circadian photoreceptors in a, in a much more powerful way. So we have we have particular um, you know, proteins in our uh, our retina that that react to blue light. They're very very sensitive to blue light, and those are the photoreceptors that feed directly into our clock. Now we it's not just that it's the color blue that you would um, you'd see visually, but uh, more blue wavelengths. So something can have a lot of quote unquote blue in it, but not appear blue. So most of those those LED lights have um, have a spike in the blue range, so even though you don't see it visibly blue. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of blue in it. So the the LEDs on our phones, our TVs, and now all of our overhead lights, they've got so much blue in it that it, it actually doesn't take that much light to wake us up, to get make us very alert, to maybe make us feel a little bit happier. Because light, after all, is is mood changing as well. That's why mm. we, we use it in, in depression. Mm. Seasonal um, adjustment and, disorder, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Mm. And, uh, but, but even um, non-seasonal depression uh, is uh, benefited from light therapy. It's because this uh, activation of these circadian photoreceptors um, improve mood. They improve alertness. They make you more alert, especially mm. at night when you've got your melatonin rising and it's a, it's a sleep signal. If you are exposing yourself to light, then it's basically telling your clock, oh, it's not, it's not nighttime, not time to release your melatonin, and it suppresses it. It mm-hmm. basically tells, tells your body it's actually still daytime. It's not time to release melatonin yet, so hold on. And that ends up making it much more difficult to fall asleep, and when you finally do get to sleep, it's actually of uh, lower quality than it would have been if you hadn't been exposed to blue light all the way up to bed. Mm. So I know when we talked, I've heard you do a couple of public talks and one of the things that I walked away and it's just deeply rooted into my life now is, you know, just appreciating twilight because it's, and I suddenly realised it's part of the day in a way, you know, we're not very good at acknowledging night, but we're even worse at acknowledging twilight. As soon as it starts to get dark, we turn the lights on. And That's right. That's right. So... um, I guess it's it's that falling in between period, the, the twilight, literally, that, that sort of starts that melatonin cycle. Is that correct? Or well, it's it, mm. melatonin would go up and down um, independent of of the change in light. So I used to do these very long duration studies and, and very dim light studies that would go on, 
even up to two months of, of people in, in exceptionally dim light. The melatonin still goes up and down. Okay. But the melatonin is, is influenced by, by the light. So in twilight, when it's, it's starting to get very, very um, you know, low in light, it's, it gets low enough so that your melatonin can start to rise. But you ruin that when you then slam on these, these very bright, especially these, these LEDs that we almost all have um, in, in Australia, uh, in our homes, these, these down lights that are everywhere, uh, especially the, the ones that, uh, that the government gives out for free, uh, mm. th those things are, are too bright. They're not dimmable, and they've got a lot of blue. And so I, it's just so bad for everyone's sleep health, and I, and I think general health, for that to be the primary light source all the way up until bed. Mm. We're now working on another study that we hope will come out in a, in a few months, that shows we, we actually use this um, new wearable technology that my group made that uh, uh, basically measures the, the type of light in, in someone's environment. So the brightness and uh, the amount of, uh, of different wavelengths of light. And we've found that basically the, the average Australian is probably suppressing almost 60% of their melatonin all the way up until bed. What that means is that they're, they're delaying that signal for sleep. Mm -hmm. Once they do get to sleep, uh, the depth of that sleep is not as, uh, not as good as it could have been. And that means that by the time they wake up, even if they've had exactly the same amount of sleep, they will wake up um, you know, as though they, they slept less than someone who didn't expose themselves to that, that type of light all the way up to bed. And I, I guess if they do that night after night, this becomes a chronic disorder. Absolutely, mm. absolutely becomes chronic and, and we don't know how, uh, how that's affecting necessarily other aspects of health. We, we know that you know, when you mess up rhythms, it leads to all sorts of problems. So uh, you, can lead to, you can lead to sleep disorders, it can lead to mood disorders. It, uh, I did a study when I was in Boston showing that if you, you know, disrupt rhythms, you can essentially bring on um, uh, pre-diabetic or diabetic state in just a couple of weeks and people who are Goodness, perfectly wow. healthy. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can reverse it with good rhythms. That's, that's the good news, especially mm. for that study. Um, it, was, it was reversible. But we also know that you can, you can create cardiovascular disease by, by just getting the light wrong. So we're probably with our, our really poor light environments doing tremendous harm. And I think that, you know, in another, maybe another 10 years when, this is more generally appreciated, but we'll look back at this time when we use light emitting devices freely, when we had super bright overhead LEDs in our homes, we'll look back at this as essentially the, the dark ages of, of lighting. <laughs> mm. it's, I think of it like um, looking back, if we, if we look back at the 1960s with a family and a car and a mother and father smoking cigarettes yeah. in, the, mm. in the front mm. and the kids in the back. And now we see that that is just crazy behavior. Mm. I think that's how we'll see the way we're using light now in, you know, in another 10, 20 years. We'll look back and just think, wow, they, they did not know what they were doing. So I have two questions in my mind. One is about advances in technology. And I know you're helping re do some research with companies that might guide us in the right direction for the future. 
But the other question I have is what can people do personally? And so I don't know which of those you'd like to answer, but yeah. I can answer both. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about um, you know, getting people knowing about the, the importance of light because it is, it is fundamental. And, and really anyone just has to mind their light environments for, for a week or so and they'll find that they're they're sleeping so much better that they're they're going to bed when they want to they're waking feeling refreshed their outlook is is generally better it, it doesn't take much your mood and your sleep improve um, noticeably you know in, in a week or so even even less and i think mm -hmm. anyone who who goes out for example camping and gets these really bright light dark cycles so very bright in the day very very dim at night they they sleep like they've never slept before and I would say mm. it's it's not because you're on vacation or you're out camping. It's because you're Everyone says in it's your, the fresh air. <laughs> yeah, the fresh yeah. air, exactly. It's mm. it's not the fresh air. You're in your ancestral light environment. This is this is the kind of light that synchronizes all of your body clocks to the optimal way, the way that you evolved over millions of years uh, to be working. Suddenly you're 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 working in the environment you're supposed to, and, and that's the way you're supposed to feel. But you know, we're we're used to this kind of um, you know, slightly muddy feeling um, because we're we just we don't realize how how important the, the light is and it it seems like it maybe isn't important and part of that is that it's just so easy to to manipulate it's not immediately consciously available to your you know to your mind what the light is doing to you it's it's mm. subtle these these inputs are to ancient areas of the brain it's not these inputs aren't to the cortex. You know, these inputs are to these areas of the brain involved in being happy, sad, fearful, you know, your uh, areas that are involved in you anticipating, you know, risk and reward. And it, it's all stuff we don't have conscious access to. So I think we've, we've not been able to make good decisions and we didn't evolve to make any decisions about light. No. Made for us. Mm. Well, I, I guess too, though, is the, you know, I've often heard people say the problem with light pollution is that it doesn't hurt you, not physically. Like it doesn't make you cough. You don't come out in a rash. It doesn't burn you. It, it, it's much more um, subtle than that, really, in the sense that it's, you know, you, you might wake up, make up, sorry, let's say that, you might wake up feeling muddy in the morning, but that's, you know, that might be the first signs of something further along the track. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, and then, um, and we get used to countermeasures like, mm, like caffeine more coffee. and yeah. Yeah, more coffee and mm. oh, I feel a little better after, after a coffee and mm. we become reliant on those. And it's, it's a vicious cycle because the, the light and the caffeine are negatively impacting your sleep, which makes you need it more because the, the light is alerting. And so, when you're feeling a little, you know, a little groggy, you might you might have a little light in the evening, perks you up a bit. Yeah. But it, it ends I guess up that's the way you system. go into cities, isn't it? There's that. It's not just a throng of people, but there there is often a lot of light, and it's that, mm -hmm. that light used by designers specifically to create a mood or enhance a, a situation. That yeah, it's yeah. right. The, you know, mm -hmm. we're we're drawn to light, uh, just just like a nocturnal <laughs> animal runs away from it. Uh, we're drawn to it. it. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel happy. And we're showing that it, it makes us uh, feel less fear, um, makes us feel safe. This is why you know, when, when people uh, light up the, you know, the outdoor environment and really uh, pollute it with light, 
uh, you don't have to argue with them uh, saying, you know, this, this makes your environment more safe. Everyone just accepts that as true mm. because it's a feeling that you have. But uh, yeah, that's, that's not supported by data. It doesn't make you, doesn't make you safer. It makes you feel safer. Mm. And so we're, we're essentially all, all looking for nightlights all the time to make us less fearful. Funny thing is, I, you know, I think this might be a, a bit of a, of a feedback thing. You know, we, when people are, they get poor sleep, and you get poor sleep when you have poor light environments, you tend to feel more anxiety. You're less able to uh, inhibit those feelings. So we know that when you're sleep deprived, when you get really poor sleep, there's less ability of your prefrontal cortex, uh, which is kind of the, your um, you know, executive center of the brain, uh, control of a control center, it's less able to inhibit your emotions. So people who are very sleep deprived tend to be more emotional. If you, you, if you've experienced a lot of sleep deprivation or a bad jet lag, you, you know that you feel more emotional and it's usually more negatively emotional. Well, then if you're feeling that way all the time, then you might seek out light to counter that. Uh, so this, this ready access to, to light is, is like you know, ready access to a, to a drug like cocaine that we don't, uh, if we didn't realize that it was so unhealthy for you, you just uh, say, oh, cocaine makes me feel good. I'll have some cocaine. Mm, mm. I'll turn on the light and it'll make me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Turn on the light, it'll make me feel better. But or I'll you know, read my mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And and you know, I, I think that's part of the uh, part of the the addiction to to phones that it makes us feel good. It also causes a problem that it's the solution for, which is poor sleep. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So. What can people do in their own personal environments to to help themselves? I, hmm. I help. think that you know it's so simple. Um, you know, it's 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 not always easy to implement, especially now. There's not a lot of easy home lighting solutions, but I think being being mindful of light is the first step. Knowing that it's it's very important, and then just kind of doing a little experiment for yourself. Uh, I would not necessarily stick to the, the real light dark cycle, but decide when, what's the time you want to go to bed. And let's say it's, it's 11 PM. You'd like to be in bed and ready to fall asleep at that time. Well, about at least three hours before that, your light should be you know, very dim and, and more orangey. So you, you wouldn't want to use, I don't think anyone should use their overhead LED lights um, you know, beyond you know, three hours before they'd go to bed. So be mindful uh, of that. You could you can buy um, you know smart light bulbs. Go to Bunnings and buy yourself some some smart lights that simulate uh, dusk and dawn. But really, you just have to you have to use it in the evening. You mm -hmm. just have to be very very wary and very careful of light in the evening. What you'll find is that if you get the light right, the sleep follows. But it's especially good for people who, who might be, I think, having anxiety over sleep. You know, someone, someone with insomnia, you know, if you're trying to, if you're thinking too much about sleep, then sleep becomes <laughs> difficult. Mm. You're, you're anxious about this thing and being anxious makes you more awake. But really, you just, you just have to work on the light because if you get the light right, your melatonin rises, your body is synchronized and you, your body will just put you out 
Um, so you, you don't really have to think too much about it. You don't have to be too concerned about it. Mm. But basically get it as dim and as orange as you can get it um, from three hours before bed up until bed. Be very, very diligent and do it exactly at the same time. You know, the sun is, is it's up and down, uh, you know, pretty much exactly the same time every day. Of course, the, the daylights change, mm. but it has to be regular, very, very regular. And your body will, it'll be happy. It'll know what time of day it is, know when to perform its functions. Uh, and one of those functions is, is sleep and you'll, you'll find yourself um, you know, happier and healthier. Hmm. Actually, that, that is something that I tell people to do is to go into wherever they're purchasing their lights from and look for the words warm lighting, uh, for example, if you're going to be using these lights at night. But one of the issues that people report back to me is that very frequently they can't find globes like that. More often than not, the boxes say cold white light or yeah. you know, the you know, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 Kelvin temperature lights, which are really very <laughs> disruptive yeah. to what we're talking about. You're and, absolutely and, right. And so uh, one of the things I keep telling to people is was don't just accept that. I mean, you don't have to do it nastily, but speak to the store manager and say, look, I'm really keen on getting some warm white lights for my house. Could you please order them in? And if enough people do that, then we're going to start changing you know, that request. But everyone just you know it's on the shelf it's easily available in cells so, yeah hmm. it's a it's a real problem so i have some um you know, bedside lamps uh that are are supposed to be dimmable and now most most leds aren't aren't really dimmable and if you you walk in uh into one of these stores you'll you'll find it, it's almost impossible to get a dimmable one and then mm -hmm. most of them are cool by cool white you should be cool white is just terrible you should not have that in your home at night at nighttime at all it should be uh warm but but even the warm ones are, are still probably too too bright uh in general so you'd want the low if you're just buying a bulb off the shelf yes you want it warm and you want it low low wattage and if you can find a dimmable one get a dimmable one or a dimmable light source but you know, there's also slightly more expensive options where there are, are smart lights, um, and those those are a good option too. So there are, there are lights that um, where each of the bulbs is is Wi-Fi enabled, and you can you can set it up to be on a schedule, so you don't have mm. to think about your lights. So when when I was using lights that were just warm and dim, um, I would often forget. To, to lower it, I, I get caught up in what I'm doing and, and I'd forget <laughs> and I'd have quite irregular schedules, even though of all people in the world, I, I'm, I'm more obsessed with light than, than anyone else. I would I've, forget. I've heard you and, described as Mr. Gloom, is, is that what it was? So living in yes, the gloom, well, that's it. Yes, I, yeah. yeah, it was a story in the age where it said that <laughs> uh, this scientist lives in gloom and thinks you should too. <laughs> but but again, to call it gloom, uh, it, it shows that bias, right? So mm. we think of darkness as gloomy as, as something that's not, you know, not good, but, you know, you really have to em embrace it at night. So we're, we're, we're not meant to be in light all the time, and it's, it's certainly not healthy. But you can get these smart bulbs, and they're, they're, they're not cheap. They're, they're, they can be pricey, but you don't need very many of them. I just, I just mm. have, uh, I think, four of them in my home, and that's what I use 
for my life. I set them up automatically. So they're on a cycle and I just set it and forget it. Just like the, you know, the, the sun going the up sun. and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have to make it rise and fall. And if you did, you'd probably mess it up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just to set it, forget it. That's the way we should be living in our mm-hmm. light environments in the evening and embrace the darkness. Yeah. Well, I've also just, you know, there's also candles, which is, you know, a nice option as well, if you can read by it and you don't need to do anything, but that's a nice romantic way of spending an evening in too. Quite nice. Look, I, I'm forgetful enough that I, I, I don't trust myself to have candles, but <laughs> if, if, if you are not like me, then <laughs> candles are, are an option. So one of the questions I ask all our guests is talking about embracing the night and the dark. What is your most memorable experience in a night environment? So under the stars um, or? Uh, well, I, it's, it's got to be, um, you know, like, like most people, I, um, it's, it's being under the stars, lying down on my back and staring straight up as a kid. When I was, when I was a, a little kid, I grew up in Canada on the East Coast and you know, you you could really see uh, a lot of the a lot of the night sky. It, was, it is amazingly breathtaking, and I don't I don't know why that is. I, as a as a scientist who who treats uh, you know biology and even humans like uh, you know like we're all robots, <laughs> I, I I I still don't get why uh, uh, why we we have that sense of awe from from looking up. But I but I certainly did, and and I always mm-hmm. had. Um, know a passion to uh for for space and for space science and things like that and science fiction uh when i was a when i was a little kid five years old that's when the the original star wars came out (laughs) and uh and i i was i was obsessed with it uh last time i was visiting my mother in canada she showed me this little uh this little bit of craft they had us do in our in our kindergarten and we had to, to put a little um, a little piece of paper over a leaf, and then with like a crayon, we'd we'd uh, go over the top of it to to get the the leaf imprint. Mm-hmm. And there must have been like fifty or sixty leaves that I don't know how long it would have taken me to do this. They had us doing it all day. Fifty or sixty leaves, and in the corner it said Star Wars. Clearly, the whole time I was doing that, I was thinking about Star Wars. An obvious connection, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever this leaf thing you got me doing, whatever I'm, I'm thinking of Luke Skywalker. But uh, yeah, I've always, I've always loved uh, you know space, space science, science fiction, things like that, and and I think the the sense of awe as as a kid, just just looking up, um, really set me uh, in motion there. Mm. Probably inspired, like most kids that have entered into science, I've asked that question and it seems to be almost one of the first memories of contemplating where did we come from and you know, what is the pattern, why is there, you know, why do we exist and, and it, yeah, it seems to be a starting block for most people that enter the world of science in some way. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, I've, I've got no mechanistic, I, I've, I've thought about this, I've got no answer to it, I'm just going to have to accept that you know, we can we can have feelings of awe without uh, mm. you know without it being due to X Y Z. That's probably a nice way to think about it. Mm-hmm. So, just as we wrap up, I, I guess the last question I have is, Sean, what do you want policy or decision makers to to know? You know, I know you're working really hard on getting a lot of research, a lot of papers, doing a lot of presentations and talks. What do you want 
you know, the people that can make a difference, what do you, what do they need to know? Yeah, this, this is a good question. I, I think, um, you know, I, I'm pretty passionate about making an impact on educating the public and, and educating government about the, the importance of these things. So, you know, it, because our, our light environments, our light behaviors, as you know, unhealthy as they are, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one thing. It's not immediately obvious you know, that, that one thing is causing the other, but we've got 20-something you know, years of research showing that you, you can create you know, almost any kind of chronic illness by getting the light wrong. And that's what we're doing. You know, we're we're doing that to ourselves all the time. So, we we need people in general to really appreciate that that light is powerful, and that uh, it's it's actually it's 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 good in a way because it, it's a quite a, quite a simple problem to solve. You get people aware of it. Technologically, it's it's not it's not hard to 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 get it right. And I think in general, we should we should all be in light environments that are. Uh, a little bit out of our control in the in the evening, at least, where we we kind of we set it, we forget it, it, it dims and allows us to go to sleep and sets up all these um, these clocks throughout our bodies to their optimal alignment, mm. uh, and that's it. But you know, we, it's it's a matter of uh, letting people know what we already know, um, so that it's not just something that that scientists know and, and publish on, but that it's in the the general awareness. But that's uh, that. That's a big goal for me. You know, I want government knowing it and doing something about it. I want uh, you know, the, the general public, um, you know, being a part of the solution because we we can we can solve it instantly. We just uh, we just need there to be the will and the, and the change in behavior and knowledge about it. I, I I'm in complete agreement, and I think the thing is that when I do when I do public talks or when I talk to people about this. It's not that people are against it. They just haven't heard about it half the time. You know, it's, we're right at that very beginning, even though you've got 20 years of research on humans and we've got, I don't know, 70 years of research on turtles, for example, and how they're affected by light. People still don't, haven't heard about it. And when you start opening that window of education, they, they do want to take a breath and you know and, and breathe it in really it's yeah yeah it's yeah. it's true and, and the, the thing is on some on some level we're not aware but on, on another we are so even though you know this is an ancient part of your brain this input of this light and all these things that it's affecting are, are, are subconscious they're they're not part of our conscious awareness i'll tell you when when i give these talks when i talk to people and i tell them that that light is doing this light is doing that then they're not skeptical Mm. There's there there it it does ring true because on some even though it's not in your conscious awareness you you know it's happening you know it's happening to you and none of it um, is is doubted when I when I give these talks mm. so it's there we're working we're, it's not like we're working with nothing or we're we're saying these things in in general and people are are in That's disbelieving true. of mm. it mm. Uh, they they believe it and they get fascinated with it. Um, mm. So I, I I have some hope that uh, it will be ringing true if we can just get the word out in general. And I think a part of getting the word out is backing from government for educational campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've got the knowledge now. If we just pass that on to people. Um, I think you know if they if they try it out, if they pay attention to their light environments for for a week or so, 
it'll change their lives. Mm. It'll noticeably improve their lives in so little time that people will get hooked on it and, and the bang on effects on, on general health will be great. Mm. Well, we haven't even touched on things like, you know, sleep disruption and traffic accidents and <laughs> workplace environments, you know, productivity, etc. There's a whole range of areas that we could have talked about as well. But I think we'll leave it on that for, for tonight. And I've taken all your time anyway, Sean. So thank you very much. It's, it's been fabulous. I think it's answered our audience's questions around circadian rhythms and disruptions and, and, and given them lots to think about as well. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. Great. No doubt that's sent heaps of questions running through your brain and hopefully given you a little bit of an understanding about circadian rhythms and sleep disruptions and just how important it is to get the right light in your houses at night. If you have any questions, you can actually go to our website, which is darkskytraveler.com.au forward slash podcast and leave us a question there or go online and rate us. We really love that too. And finally, if you do have any questions and would like to get in contact with Sean, you can via Twitter at circadian247.